Hey, you're listening to the Scholarly Spark podcast. Here's your chance to finally become interested in learning and find out about what you're genuinely curious about. Join me as we experience different foods, the latest technology, immerse ourselves in a variety of phenomenal cultures, discover the secrets of civilization, find out about interesting people we never knew existed, and learn about what no one else dared to find out. I'm Vasan Narayanan, taking you on a journey through the mysteries of our world, all through the convenience of your headphones. Here we go. You've also mentioned that um, randomness is very important in these control experiments. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, how how do we know how much randomness we need to use um, to outweigh the potential biases that having not having randomness would have? Is there a point, like a specific point at which we know um, when we can simply neglect those potential biases and say that our results are uh, statistically valid? That's a good question, right? So in any sort of data, right, when you observe the real world, there's lots of reasons why things happen, right? Uh, and you know, and something and anything compl- as complex as human behavior, like what we do, there's a million different things that determine what we happen and what, what, what happens and a million different reasons why two things might be related. And the job of the person doing causal inference is to try to isolate the random part, right? You want some sort of random part that you can really focus on uh, in order to say, that, okay, this is the causal effect, right? We want to mimic an experiment as best we can. And so the the question of how much randomness there needs to be, it's not so much how much randomness there needs to be for us to be able to do it. It's whether or not we can isolate that randomness, right? Can we isolate it? Um, So, you know, in the case of something like, you know, the the, the Vietnam draft that we talked about, right? That's something where you can really easily isolate the randomness because you know what it it was that determined the order, right? It was that the draft ordering was determined by your birthday. Uh, In something else, like let's say, uh, you know, you want to know the effects of a job training program, right? You put a new job training program in, in the city, you want to know if it actually helped people find jobs. Well, why are people signing up for that job training program? Well, some people are having a harder time than others looking for a job. That's going to be one reason that's probably not random, right? Uh, it, you know, some people maybe just happened to walk by the sign advertising it. That is random. Uh, but the, and then the question for whether we can use that to, to get a causal effect isn't so much about how much of it is random, but rather whether we can get that randomness. So in that case, we probably would have a hard time getting data on whether you happened to randomly walk by a sign advertising the job training program. So that would be a hard one to do. We wouldn't really be able to do that one because we would have a hard time picking out the random part that we think is really random. So that's really the job of the causal inference researcher is to try to think very hard about all the different reasons why why those two things are related, whether some of those things are random, and if some of those things are, though some of those explanations are random, how can we pick them out of, of the crowd, right? How can we get rid of all the non-random stuff and just leave ourselves with that nice, pristine, uh, randomized control experiment-like type of data? Uh, and it's hard, um, yeah, but that's that's the goal there. And especially nowadays, um, when there's so much data available, uh, how can we trust the studies you read about in the news that that make these causal claims? Yeah, so tr- trusting studies in the news is a really hard one, right? Uh, because there's a couple of different layers between you and the truth, right? The truth is out there somewhere. 
Uh, and then that got turned into a study. Maybe the study is good. Maybe the study is bad. Uh, and then that study, whether it's good or bad, got turned into a newspaper article. Maybe that newspaper article accurately describes what's going on in the study. Maybe it doesn't. And then that newspaper article was read by you, and maybe you understood it properly. Maybe you didn't. Right. So there's a couple of layers between you and the truth. Uh, and so figuring out whether or not you can trust something that you read, uh, something when you when you read about a study, is very difficult, uh, especially because you know the news tends to. Uh, overblow things a little bit, right? It picks the most exciting stuff. And in research, usually the most boring stuff is the stuff that uh, is, is easiest to trust. So my, my suggestions for trying to make sense of when you read about studies in the news or causal claims uh, in, in the news or just you know opinion pieces or whatever, um, first of all, is to not take individual studies too seriously. Uh, a lot of the time you'll see a newspaper article that says a new study finds this thing. And then the newspaper article is all about that. Uh, and uh, in general, if you can, unless it's something you absolutely have to know about right now, you want to you want to hold off on that one, right? You, if, if you can get away with not needing to know the answer to it, leave it, uh, because uh, individual studies are mo- you know part of they're 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 one sampling of the truth. Um, but uh, uh, what you really want is to have a bunch of studies on the same thing, and hopefully they all point in the same direction. Uh, and so you don't want to get too excited about a, a single individual study because uh, it might not be reflective of what the broader literature is going to find. Um, also, you know, that's going to be most subject, most subject to sort of the, the details of how the study was done. Uh, and if you're not willing to put it, so if you, if you read about a study, then it's one study, uh, A, it might not be representative, B, it might be bad. Uh, and so if you are willing to put in the time to follow up on where that study came from, the kinds of things that they actually did, get a little bit more into the detail to see if what if you think that they have covered the different kinds of uh, explanations for why two things might be related, then yeah, maybe you could make some sense of that and, and, and get value out of it. If you're not, if you're just going to read the newspaper article and then move on with your day, you can probably ignore it. Um, where, uh, uh, where you want to pay more attention is when there's a result that comes out of a lot of studies. Uh, and that's true in science generally, including in this causal inference stuff, that you want uh, not just this one study found this thing, but rather maybe here's a researcher that we're talking to, and they're talking about a bunch of studies that have been done over many years, and they all tend to point in the same direction. Here's the synthesis that we're getting out of those studies. Uh, and that's when you really want to pay attention. As, as, a, as an observer who's sort of outside of the field, it's very hard to judge the quality of an individual study, especially if you're not willing to put in the time to do it. Uh, but uh, it's a lot easier to understand when you have a lot of studies pointing in the same direction. And that, that's really when you want to, uh, you, when, when you can put a little bit more trust in, in the results that are coming out there. It's been super fun learning with you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me. Join me next week as we explore another part of the numerous and ever-increasing mysteries of our world. I'm looking forward to exploring something new that you've never heard about next week. Talk soon.